Revelation 2. We're going to read the first, oh, maybe five verses as we look at this church at Ephesus. There are seven churches that are mentioned here. These seven churches that are mentioned are prophetic of the entire church age. They cover the early church, the first century church, and they climax in the, no doubt, the church period that we're living in now, which is the Laodicean church age. But these are seven churches that did exist in that day, and they were viable churches. They were churches that were alive. They were productive churches, but they're churches that are written to by John as he instructs them. And some good things are said and some bad things are said. And that is true of every message that's given. There needs to be a negative and a positive in every message. A negative is that we deal with what's wrong, and the positive is that we deal with what it's going to take to correct it. I mean, I need to know what's wrong in my life, but I need to know what's right so I can fix it. And the same thing is true for all of us. So read verse 1. He has you to stand on him. Well, stand then. All right. I, you know, I don't, want, I don't want him not invite me again, so you've got to follow this thing through here. Now, there's a good crowd of people here today. Thank you for coming. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars and has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake, has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Father, bless your word. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Ephesus. Ephesus. We don't know how the church got started. We know the church is in Ephesus, which is located, or was located in Asia Minor. Ephesus was located as a seaport city on the Aegean Sea. It was a city that was very prosperous in that day. <clears throat> Historians tell us that it's about 300 300,000 people that lived there. It was very advanced. It was strong politically. It was strong economically. It was strong religiously, but the religion in that day was basically pagan religion. As a matter of fact, the Temple of Diana was located there, if you've ever read that, and it was a very vulgar and mean and awful place and did not, did not look like anything religious to begin with. But in that city... I don't know how it got started. There was a church that was started in Ephesus. We know that at some point in time, the Apostle Paul had come along and had preached there for a period and ministered there probably close to three years. But the first church that is mentioned in, this, in this, these two chapters, chapters 2 and chapters 3, is this church. So many good things are said about it. It talks about the seven golden candlesticks which represent the church. It talks about the stars, which represents, no doubt, the pastors. And then he begins to talk about the character of the church. He says, I know your works. And what he says is a very positive thing about them. They were a working church. Things looked good. It was great. As far as the eye could see, it was a great situation. And so there's positive things that it said. 
He said, you cannot bear them which are evil. In other words, it was a church that stood on the truth. It did not change its stand. And evil was evil and sin was sin and wrong was wrong. And the pastor pointed it out and said, this is sin and we will not tolerate it. That's a good church. Now we ought to accentuate the positive. But we need to point out the sin and we need to deal with the sin. And sometimes I feel that we're failing to do so. But it is mentioned here, this is a good positive statement about this church. Can't bear them which are evil. It talked about they found those that said they were apostles to be liars. Uh, they were men that come along after the apostles. They were 12 of those apostles were given uh, definite and unusual power in the early days of the church. There would be no apostles after that. They do not have, I do not have the power that they have. But men would try to capitalize on that because it would advance them individually if they said, I'm an apostle. But they were lying. And this church had faced them face to face and told them that you're doing wrong, you're lying, and you're not an apostle. You're not. And they did that. That was a very commendable thing. And then he talks about in verse number 3, they labored, not fainted. In other words, there was great persecution against this church. But in the face of persecution, they did not bend. They did not back up. They did not quit. They just kept right on plowing forward for the cause of Jesus Christ. They were faithful. They did not faint. They would not be stopped. And then all of a sudden, this verse is thrown in there. Something that I guess is major, but it seems to be minor. He says, I've got somewhat against you. You've left your first love. What are you talking about? I mean, with all these positive things, there seems to be the fact of being upset with this church over something that we might consider trivial. They've left their first love. It does not mean that they did not love God, but they had left their first love. The emotional attachment that they had, the zeal that they had, it is missing. You would think this seems to be such a minor thing. They had a good crowd. They had a good building. Things were going good. They would not tolerate evil. They took a stand on things. And if people were lying, they confronted that. They were doing good. But when it comes down to the bottom line... There was an indictment that was brought against this church. You're not zealous enough. You don't have the emotional attachment to the things of God and God himself that you should have. And it is confronted by the writer John here in the book of Revelation. And you say, well, so what? It's interesting. It's so interesting. In verse 5, he says, listen, if you don't get this thing right, I'm going to remove the candlestick. I'm going to remove the church. You'll be nothing but a memory. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're doing a good job. We're faithful to the things of God. We're faithful to, to confront evil. We're faithful in doing that, and we've not quit. We're still going there with our Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. But here the writer is saying, if you don't get this thing right about the first love, then God is going to remove the church and there'll be nothing but a memory. I have been preaching a long time and can I tell you something? Some churches are nothing but a memory anymore. All, we're always talking about the church and what it was. And they may even be gathering together, but it's just a shell. There is nothing going on. There is no seal and there's no effort. There is not an emotional attachment to the things of God. When you go to the house of God, you're not saved by feeling. You're saved by faith. But there ought to be this emotion, this thing of worship that you come before God. You say, well, preacher, you can't feel it. Well, I like to feel something once in a while. 
I like to sense the moving of God. And I like to know that the relationship that I have with Him is more than just something that we talk about. The reality of it can be experienced. But, uh, but it's not a threat because the thing of it is, this church did cease to exist. It slowly but surely died and no longer existed. And I got to thinking about that one day. Only a memory. I thank God for memories, but I want something more than memories. I thank God for the memories that I've had in past concerning church, but I want more than just memories. I'm living today. I don't know how much longer I live, but while I'm alive, I want to know. I want to know that God is real in my life and real in my church and real in His work, and I want that relationship to have fellowship with it and to enjoy the blessings of God. But he says, now, if you don't get this thing straightened out, of course, he gives the result or the way that you can straighten it out. We'll deal with that in just a minute. But I got thinking, can I give you five warning signs? It's 11.32. If I let you out at 11.35, will you be happy? <laughs> well, we'll go to 12.30. Okay, I'm a kid. I'm just a kid. But I want to give you five warning signs that there's nothing left but a memory or there will be nothing left but a memory. Warning signs, I think it would be to you and to me that when we see these warning signs or experience these things, that there ought to be a warning in our life that we may be in danger of living in a church that's going to become nothing but a memory, even though if it still has a building, even if it has people. And we don't want that to happen in our lives. There's too much at stake. There's too many young people to reach. And we need to reach everyone we can. Warning number one. When we begin all of our conversations with, I remember when. Now think about that just a minute. I do a lot of that. The older I get, I say, you know, I remember when. Huh? When you get our age, you can remember, you young people, you, you don't, you're kind of not in this message at the first part of it. You know, I can remember when gas was 20 cents a gallon. I remember the first car that I bought, brand new, the first new car that I bought was $1,500. New? Now, it wasn't built here. It was built with Germans. But at $1,500, go buy a new one now for $1,500. I remember when. I remember when a Coca-Cola was a nickel. How many of you remember that? Yeah. And a pack of nabs. How many of you know what nabs are? Yeah. A nab is a lance cracker. We used to call them nabs. nabs. And back in my day, and when you're young, the nabs did not come in a six-pack. They came in a four-pack. How many of you remember that? It was stacked straight up. You could buy a Coca-Cola and a pack of nabs for a dime, and they did not charge you tax back then. You cannot hardly breathe air now without being charged tax on it. But we remember when, something like that. But a lot of times we do that in church work. We begin to say as older people, I remember when, God bless the church, I remember when there was excitement in the church. I remember when people were saying, and when we get to that point in our experience and all we can say is I remember when, then we are in trouble and that is a warning sign that we need to do business with God lest we become a memory as a church and I don't want that to happen in my church or your church or any church because we need churches in the land that we're in today. I remember when. Now, it's also true that when you're remembering things, you embellish. 
And we have to be careful about that. You say, what does it mean to embellish? It means that you lie and it don't sound too bad. You know, when I was a kid growing up, we didn't have buses to ride to school. That's the truth when we first started. We had to walk in the snow. It was uphill both ways. I mean, you get part of it right, but you begin to embellish. You know what I'm saying? You embellish, you know. As a matter of fact, it started snowing in September, didn't quit to March. Well, what it is, we remember some things, we forget other things, and we embellish and that we lie. Same thing can be true when it comes to church. Sometimes when we're looking back, we only remember the good, so we embellish, we begin to add stuff to it. But even, even if you cast that out or you do away with that, can I assure you, that things may have been better in the past, and when we get to the point that we're always saying, I remember when, then we, that is a warning sign that we are in trouble as the people of God, and we will eventually become a memory because you, even though that is a blessing back there and should be a blessing back there, we need something today, something right now. I need a God that is present at this point in time, and you do as well. Second warning sign. When we be try to justify our failures and, and, and listen, none of us want to be failures we, we do everything we can to try to paint a picture that we're successful but you have to admit folks now listen, you have to admit people are not getting saved in our churches today now is that just not an honest observation I'm not trying to throw out anything negative and then I would ask this question, <clears throat> well, is that God's fault? Do you reckon it is God's fault? I mean, this thing gets deep. I do not know sometimes all the answers. But sometimes when, we, when there's failure in our lives and failure in our churches, we try to justify it by saying, well, we're just living in the last days. And what it is, we'll pick out certain passages of Scripture <clears throat> to know this is in the last days, perilous times are going to come. We try to pick out whether it's going to be a falling away. There's things like that. And I believe that. I believe that's true. But if we're not careful, we'll begin to use those things just to try to justify our failures. Listen, if we've fallen or fell in some point or at some time or in our ministries or anything else, we need to be Christian enough to admit it, to admit it, not try to blame it on God, but understand there is a remedy for every situation and everything. But I'm saying there is the potential of becoming a memory unless we look honestly at these warning signs. Warning sign number three. Now just think of it. When we come to the point that we're not real enough to keep any of our young people, then we're in, we're in danger of becoming a memory. Listen to me, listen to me. Every young person's not going to get saved. It may be that in your home or in your household, everyone will not get saved. I'm not foolish enough to say that. I'm not going to say that in any church that all the young people are going to get saved and stay in the church. I understand the work of Satan. I understand the strength of the flesh. I understand lustful desire. I understand all of that. But when we get to the point that we can't keep any of our young people, then something is wrong somewhere. Isn't that right? I know the world has a lot to offer, but can I tell you something? God has much to offer. 
when there is realness in our services, realness in our life, realness in our churches, then I believe that we can keep a certain amount of our young people. I go places and preach that do not have one young person left in that church. The church is going to die. The church is going to become a memory. We need to make sure that we are real. Real. Either this is real this morning or we're just putting on a big show. And we're putting on a big show. I'm getting a little hungry. We'll just go eat. Huh? But I believe it's real. And if it's not real, then that is a danger sign. That's a warning sign in our life and in the life of our church. And we need to step up the plate and see if there's any remedy for this. Fourth warning sign. Hang on. When government and politics becomes the hope of the church, not the power of God in prayer. Now listen. I believe in government. Government's established by God. I know that in government you don't have many good men. You do have some good men and some good women in government. I mean, you, you, you study our founding fathers. They were not, most of them were not very good men. That it had the right concept when it comes to God. But God used them. And I'm thankful that they guaranteed us the freedom of worship. I'm thankful for that. We have that in the Constitution, and I am grateful for that. But government does not have the answer for the church. Only God does. And our trust and faith must not be in the government or its legislating. It must be in the Word of God. This is the only thing forever settled in heaven. This is that which we look to. This is what we walk by. This is what we live by. This is the truth. It does not change, and we base everything that we are, and we're to be upon the blessed Word of God. But when we come to a point that we're depending upon government and politics, I'm going to vote this year. I'm voting for myself. I'd be afraid I'd win. The last thing I'd want to be involved in politics. How about a cesspool it is? But so many times in our churches, we begin to look, if, if things are not doing the way and, and people are not living like we think they ought to live and and things are not the way we think they should be, then we begin to look to them to have the answer, to find the answer, and the answer is always in God. It's in the power of prayer. Are you weary? Are you heavy-hearted? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. That the answer is found in Him. So what I'm saying is there's some warning signs that we need to be careful of. Another warning sign. this is probably the biggest of all. When it no longer bothers us or impacts us, that sinners don't get saved. That's a warning sign. I know that salvation is the Lord. I understand it, that people are not going to be saved every service. I understand that you sow for a while. But after sowing, then a harvest is to come. What I'm talking about here is an attitude. See, when you went through a period and nobody got saved, it would bother you for a while and you'd pray and maybe agonize with God. But eventually, that begins to fade. We come together service after service. You say, well, the church, 
is not a place where people get saved. Well, it's a pretty good place. As a matter of fact, I have seen a lot of people saved in church. You say, well, they won't go. I wonder why. Maybe we're not real. But what I'm trying to get the point across to you is that when it doesn't bother us, when it has no impact on us at all, it's just like pouring water on a duck's back and it has no impact and we don't care. Then we are in trouble as the people of God and as a church we're going to become nothing but a memory because that's the way that a church grows is through new birth as people are born into the family of God. And when it doesn't bother us, it bothers me that it doesn't bother me as it should when I think of my own family members that might not be saved. Maybe it's kind of distant. Maybe it's close. We can have family members that are unsaved and we're unmoved, we're unfazed about that. And it's basically the only thing that really matters. You can give your kids everything their hearts desire, but if they don't know Jesus Christ, to say when they leave this world, they're going to that awful place that's called hell. The most important decision they're made is a decision for Christ. When we don't when it doesn't even bother us or phase us, that is a warning sign that we may become nothing but a distant memory somewhere down the road if we've not already become that. The church should be the most talked about place in the community. <laughs> not because of the fights. Uh, not because of the sins. Not because the preacher's run away with somebody's wife or something like that. It shouldn't be any of that. But it should be talked about because it is a lively place that it is so visible that you can see that something's going on there and people are coming in and people are being saved and lives are being changed by coming and being a part of that experience. But when it no longer bothers us whether or not people are saved, we are in danger of becoming a now then, that's the negative part. You say, preacher, I feel somewhat a burden from what you said. <clears throat> I feel the weight of that. I'm moved by that. What should I do? What should I do? The answer seems to be very simple because he says in verse 5, Remember, therefore from whence thou art fallen. Remember. Now this goes directly to those that are older in this building. See, the children... Young people have nothing to remember. They've not traveled far enough down the road. But we that are as old as me, see, I'm 39. Anybody as old as I am, you can, you can miss. Y'all don't get nothing. But uh, to the older group in the church, we can remember seeing and experiencing the presence of God at work. We need to remember that God did and that God can. We need to remember that God blessed and he can bless. We need to remember that God saved and he can still save. We need to remember that God saved us. God saved me. God saved you. And God can save my love. We need to remember who God is, what God can do and he has done. And as the songwriter put it, he'll do it again. We need to remember that. And the second thing, Repent. Have a change of heart, a change of mind. Say, listen, Lord, I'm sorry. I want this to be more than just a coming together and just singing a few songs and preaching 
and making me feel better about myself. I want just to be something that's real, works done in our heart, not only in our heart, but that sinners. By the way, I, I, I know it's hard to get sinners in. I understand. But maybe it's the same truth there that it is with young people. Maybe they don't see anything real. See, each of us have to make that determination. We can talk a good talk, can't we? We can do that. But when it comes to realness, but if sinners come in, that the Spirit of God, in deep conviction, through the preaching of the Word of God, can draw them unto Himself. That's what we want. That's what I want. True repentance. Lasting repentance. I... I have a statement to make. It's a simple statement. I'm going to close now. People do about what they want to do. And it's true. If you want to go to church, you'll go to church. And if they don't want to go to church, they won't go to church. Isn't that true? People do about what people want to do. And we can have about what we want to have as the people of God if we're willing to make the sacrifices or have the attitude at heart that we ought to have so that we can have it. I believe there's a God in heaven that wants to bless not only the church I'm at, but bless this church and all the other churches, the fundamental churches that are around. God wants to do something. A lot of that hinges upon God. There's got to be another part of that hinge that applies to you and me that we've got to put ourselves in a position where God can do that. I don't want to live in the past. I don't know what age it is you become an old man. What, what age is it when you become an old man? Does anybody here know? Anybody got any fillers on that? When I die? That's about a good answer, sisters, I've ever heard in my life. So I'm a young man, still breathing. But I do have a life in my body. And I want God to bless me and help me and use me. And I want God to bless this church and bless you and bless your family and me.